This morning, we are in Luke 2, which is all about the birth of Christ. And you may be starting to worry about me already. Kind of, Jeff, did you forget the calendar? Did you forget that Christmas is over? Well, no, I actually do know the calendar. And I like to follow the church calendar a little bit. And the church year says traditionally, and here's why the church calendar is important. It forms us as God's people, as God's children. It's a way of shaping us according to the biblical narrative, according to the biblical story. And so traditionally, Christmas lasts for 12 days. Doesn't mean you get gifts and presents all the time for all of that. But Christmas, you've heard of the 12 days of Christmas, that ended January the 5th. And then January the 6th, which was yesterday, was Epiphany. Now think about the word epiphany. What does it mean? The word epiphany means getting a new sight, being able to see something you haven't seen before. And in terms of the Gospels, the sight is, and Mike mentioned this in some of his prayers, it is making salvation known to the whole world. It is a light to the Gentiles. The manifestation of Christ to the Gentiles by the majesty by the Magi, excuse me, as recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. They saw the star, they followed the star as it led them to Christ. Now, it's real interesting, the account of the Magi is not recorded for us by Luke, nor is the account of the shepherds recorded for us by Matthew. This does not mean they are contradicting one another. Instead, they're complementing one another. They are serving their own unique purposes and kind of agenda and mission. And it's interesting, while Luke has a focus on Mary and the shepherds, Matthew, on the other hand, focuses on Joseph and the Magi. Throughout Luke's gospel, he is very concerned to highlight the unique role that women play. I mean, think about Luke. He's going to go through Mary. We're going to look at Anna next week. You've got Mary and Martha and the parable there. You have a lot of focus on the women, and in Matthew, and that's Luke's highlighting that salvation is for everyone. Remember who Luke is. He's a Gentile physician, and so he is highlighting the scope of the gospel for everyone. Matthew, on the other hand, his unique focus is on Israel, and Jesus as the fulfillment and the point of Israel's story. But it's also interesting that Matthew, while focusing on Israel, points out the Magi and the light to the Gentiles, and Luke, while highlighting the Gentiles and the broad scope of the gospel, still focuses on the shepherds who played a unique role within Israel. So in both cases, the gospel writers are making sure that the gospel is for everyone. The gospel is for all sorts of people, that the scope and the comprehensiveness of the gospel is global, is worldwide. And so as we read through this text, Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20, here's my prayer for us. My prayer for us is epiphany. That we see Jesus anew. That our hearts are melted by the beauty of Jesus. That we see the real Jesus, the true Jesus. May we see his glory, not just as kind of far off and transcendent, but beautiful and real to us. May Jesus woo us.
to himself. Friends, hear the word of the Lord. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. Luke writes, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinus was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Friends, this is the very word of the Lord, given by the triune God of love because he loves us. So what does glory look like? Does it look like when a sports team wins its championships? Now, I know all of us Georgia fans were kind of disappointed. Alabama fans, I know some of you over here were disappointed. Who's playing tomorrow night, Lynn? There we go. Go blue. Now, if we, do we have any Washington fans? I don't mean to offend you. But is glory when, and I could say the same thing, you know, is glory when my beloved New York Yankees win their 28th world championship that when it's a new year, I'm going six weeks till spring training and I'm ready for Yankee season to start? Is that what glory is? Or is glory like, I'll tell you, Evie and I have recently been kind of, not binging, but watching periodically the TV show The Crown. Anybody watch The Crown? See The Crown? Oh, I'm actually relating to some of you right now. I never know with my stories and illustrations. Okay, it depicts the reign and the family of Queen Elizabeth. Do we see glory in things like royal weddings? Think of how mesmerized the world was. Way back when, when Prince Charles, he was Prince Charles back then, and Lady Diana got married. Or the crowds of paparazzi who followed Lady 
Diana around. Is that what glory looks like? See, so far in Luke's infancy narratives, in Luke 1 and 2, we have seen several announcements by the angel. So, for example, in chapter 1, he made an announcement to Zechariah that he and his older and barren wife, Elizabeth, would give birth to a son who became John the Baptist. And that pointed or represented glory. And then the same angel then made the announcement to Mary, a poor teenage virgin girl, about how she was going to give birth to the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And again, this represents or points to glory. But here another announcement is made, the announcement of the angels to the shepherds. We see this in the text. And what, does set, what sets this announcement apart from the others? Well, verse 9 tells us. It says, And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. This wasn't pointing to the glory of the Lord. Glory showed up. Glory was present amongst them. This manifestation of the uniqueness and the holiness of the Lord is what we all need and hunger for. We were created for glory. We all, as humans, hunger for glory. But do we know what it is and where to find it? We look in all sorts of places. And Luke, in this narrative, is showing us what glory looks like. Friends, you need to know what glory looks like. And we see in this text, Luke's going to show us three things. He's going to show us where to look, who brings it, and how to respond. See, it's 2024. It's a new year. I'm trying to keep you note-takers note real simple. Simple outline. Where to look, who brings it, how to respond. Okay, first of all, where is glory found? Where to look? Luke sets this narrative up in three basic scenes. The first scene is in verses 1 to 7, where he gives the historical context. He says, in those days, a decree, an order, a command came from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. In other words, he was taking a census. And then it says, all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, his fiancée, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Luke's first scene shows us two basic things about where glory is to be found. First off, after we learn a little bit about the historical context, the situation sounding Jesus' birth, and Caesar Augustus decreeing the census, ask yourself a question. Why is the census important? Remember, Luke told us, back in chapter 1, his prologue, he's writing to a friend of his, a man by the name of Theophilus, and he said, many have undertaken to kind of write down everything that's been going on in our midst. And he said, it seemed good to me to research it and to give you an orderly account of the things that have taken place in our midst. Luke's not doing anything by accident. 
Luke's not just sitting here saying, oh, goodness, this is like a term paper. It requires 10,000 words. I better put some fluff in here. No, everything he says is significant. Every detail is important. So why is the census important? Because it's giving us the historical context, the historical reasons why Joseph need to go, needed to go from his home in Galilee to Bethlehem, which, by the way, no cars yet, no buses, was a walk on foot of about 85 to 90 miles. So here he goes. He went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea to the city of David. What is Luke showing us here? He's showing us that the story of the Old Testament is continuing now in the birth of Jesus. And the first significant thing, the first important thing he wants us to know about where to look for Galilee is that it is in this tiny, little, seemingly insignificant place called Bethlehem. Now, this is a continuation of the Old Testament story because astute hearers and readers would recognize this was prophesied by the prophet Micah way back in Micah chapter 5 when Micah wrote, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Where is glory to be found? In a small, too little, insignificant town. I loved hearing Travis preach last week and remind us of Zechariah's prophecy that there are no little people within the kingdom of God. We are so used to looking for glory in the rich, the powerful, the successful, the good-looking, the well-to-do, the high achievers, the well-connected. It is so easy, I know I struggle with this, to compare myself with others and to think everyone's better than I am. Look at me. Who would follow a five-foot, three-inch, short, mm, little dumpy, whatever? Oh, for you, too little insignificant Bethlehem. Do you know what I say? I go, yes, I love the gospel. Jesus is saying you don't look for glory in the rich and powerful. You look for it in the small and insignificant. That's where he chose to place his glory. And also, this is so interesting and so consistent with what Luke is doing in his gospel. The Hebrew word for Bethlehem means house of bread. Not gingerbread house, house of bread. Luke is showing throughout his gospel that Jesus comes to sit at table with his people and break bread. That means if Jesus has come to reveal and manifest the glory of God, remember what the other gospel writers say, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen or beheld his glory the glory of the only one, full of grace and truth. This is glory come down. This is love come down. And what does it look like? It looks like Jesus going to the house of bread, which Luke is making a point of showing that glory wants to dwell, glory wants to commune, glory is found in relationship, glory is found in connection, glory is found in, friend, in friendship. Glory is found in intimacy. It is not about how slick and polished and programmed we are. 
Luke will show throughout his gospel, and he's kind of introducing it here in the birth of Jesus Christ. That Jesus is about the outcast, the down and out, the marginalized, the small. And he shows us this in the second place where glory is to be found. And we need to know, if we hunger for glory, this is where we have to look. Here's the application. If you're looking in the polished and slicked, you're not going to find it. You need to look in the small and in the lowly. Because the second place is the manger. What an unexpected place to find glory. Now, the manger is probably not what we're thinking of, especially in light of so many of the depictions we see of it in the Christmas story. Historians tell us that the manger or the feeding trough, or maybe a better way of putting it is the feed box, is probably the ground floor of a house where people normally stayed upstairs. The ground floor would be used or often used for animals, although there's no mention of animals like we normally see. But whatever the manger or the feeding trough, the feeding box looked like, one thing that is utterly astonishing is that this is not the typical place that you would expect to find glory. The Son of God, the Messiah. And why is the men manger mentioned? Did you notice it's mentioned three times in this text? Why is it so important? Why is it so prominent? Because as we're going to see, it's a sign to the shepherds. It told the shepherds, which baby they were looking for. It showed the shepherds, this is where glory is. Because again, left to ourselves, we're going to look in the high and mighty and the rich and the successful and all sorts of places, and the angels are telling the shepherds, no, this is a sign. The baby lying in a manger in swaddling clothes, here is where glory is to be found in a feed box, in a feeding trough. Pretty unexpected. Not where we would typically look. These are not the typical gods we craft for ourselves. Friends, where are you looking for glory in your life? Where are you looking for relationship, for significance, for security, for hope? Talk about uniqueness. Talk about something set apart. Talk about holiness. Scene two. Who brings the glory? Who is this child? Verse 8, in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel, and I love this, immediately reassures them. Reassures the shepherds saying, fear not, for behold. In other words, pay attention. I bring you good news. Friends, that's the Greek word for gospel. I bring, gospel is not instructions. Gospel is not principles. Gospel is news. I share with you the most exciting news in the world. That unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. This is where you'll find him. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly, we go from one angel to a multitude of the heavenly host. Can you imagine this scene, by the way? I'm not sure what number multitude is, but it's a lot. And what are they doing? They are throwing a party. Never think that reverence and joy or reverence and celebration don't go together. 
Do you think somehow the multitude of heavenly hosts were not reverent? And yet, what do they do? They are praising God and exclaiming, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom He is pleased. The second scene, the centerpiece of the whole narrative, consists of the angel's announcement to the shepherds concerning this particular child. It's this one. It's not any of the other ones you might find. This is where glory is to be found and what glory looks like. And the shepherds, to the shepherds, and this again is unique because who would the shepherds be? They were seen by Israel as unwashed, unclean, and it was to them they were saying, this is the child, this is his identity, and this is his task. And again, the historical context tells us why this is so important and just how subversive this is. Let's go back to verse 1 in Caesar Augustus. Do you, how many of you remember your world history now? Historians tell us Caesar Augustus became the sole ruler of the Roman Empire after the very bloody civil war which ended the Roman Republic and ushered in the Roman Empire. His particular claim was to bring justice and peace. It was called the Pax Romana to the entire empire. He declared that his adoptive father was divine, which made him what? Son of God. This would mean that Augustus's claim in the Roman Empire is that he is the world's true Lord. He is Savior. He is King. Luke is saying, or is he? Who brings the glory? Because it is now to the shepherds that is given the truth that far away, in another region, a child has been born who is the true Son of God, the world's true Lord and King, and it is He who brings true glory, true justice, true peace. This is a confrontation of kingdoms. Jesus, this baby, is the true King, not Caesar. Talk about subversive right from the get-go. And the angel announces this to the shepherds, saying, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day. And again, another of Luke's literary clues, this day is very important because he is signaling today salvation has come. The kingdom, the eschaton, has been inaugurated. He will use this as a sign throughout his gospel. So, for example, Luke 19, I know, remember this three years from now. Luke 19, when he saves Zacchaeus, he says what? This day salvation has come to this man's house. And in Jesus' death on the cross, when he is crucified behind, between two criminals, and it's the one criminal who repents, what does he say to him? He says, this day, this day, today, you will be with me in paradise. Luke is putting out kind of a signpost and a signal saying this day in the city of David a Savior is born. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. Salvation has come to the earth today. This day it's come. And is it any wonder that a multitude of the heavenly host praising God would say glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is a fulfillment 
of Psalm 96 when it says, let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let all the trees of the field clap their hands. Let the seas and the oceans and the waters roar. Have you ever wondered what's going on there? The created world, the created order, God's world is anticipating. They can't wait because it says, why do they do this? Before the Lord, for He comes. He comes to judge the earth. That's being fulfilled right now. That is happening right now. And so the angel preaches this gospel of joy for all the people, this reason for joy, because salvation has come. It's like Jesus will say later, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus came to bring salvation. This child, the kingdom's been inaugurated. He's come to do this. And why will this bring peace? Think about this. Why will this bring peace? Because it is only in this child, only in this baby, that atonement for sin will be made. It is only in this child that salvation is found. As Luke will say in his second volume, the book of Acts, he says, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Friends, salvation is not just about going to heaven when we die. We have too individualistic and too futuristic a view of salvation. Salvation is our life in the here and now being redeemed, reconciled, and restored to give us significance, belonging, purpose, relationship, all the things we hunger for. We hunger for connection. It comes in no other name but Jesus. That's why the church can be the only hope for the world. Because the church can offer what the world cannot offer. And we see this in the response, scene three. How do you respond? Verse 15, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. Look at the shepherds' first response. They say, let us go and check this out. Let us go and see this thing. Maybe you're here today and you're not sure yet that you're ready to respond to Jesus and fully surrender to him and trust him. That's okay. You know what I pray for you? I pray that you will at least say, let's continue to see this thing. Let's continue to check this out. Friends, don't shut down your heart. Don't close your heart. Don't harden your heart. Keep checking this out. Dare to ask Jesus to make himself real to you. He might show up. The shepherds were curious. They said, let's go to Bethlehem. See, that took faith to do that. Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. And they went with haste. They didn't put it off. They didn't say, that's all right, we'll go in six months. No, they went with haste. They went immediately. There's no guarantee of tomorrow. Go immediately. If you feel the Lord tugging on your heart, you're kind of going, I'm intrigued by what Jeff is saying. Hmm. He hasn't put me to sleep yet. He might in five minutes. Who knows? Yes, we're coming close to the end of the sermon here. 
Don't put it off. Check it out. And then look what else. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. How did they make, known, make it known? They talked about it. My Christian friends, my LOPC friends, if we are quiet about our faith, how will LOPC, how will Lake Oconee hear? If the church keeps the message to ourselves, the world will not hear. God has instituted plan A, and there's no plan B. Part of our response to glory needs to be to talk about glory. And if we don't do it, who will? Quit worrying about Atonement has been made. You're saved. You're forgiven. Quit worrying about whether you do it well or not. It doesn't matter. Yes, try to do as best as we can. But we live in such performance anxiety. Such fear. Oh, will I be able to answer their question? Just tell them you love Jesus. If they ask a question, I've got advice for you. Three little words. I don't know. It is okay. Pressure off. There's freedom. Say it with me. I don't know. Doesn't that feel good? But talk about it, because look what else. The text says, all who heard it, why did they hear it? Because the shepherds were like, we've seen this. Have you seen this thing? This is incredible. And then what, is the, what do the people do? They wondered. They wondered at what the shepherds told them. I want to hear that Lake Oconee is going, something strange is going on at LOPC. They're talking about this Jesus, and I can't make sense of it. Have you seen their pastor? He's definitely not slick or polished. He's not real cool. But you know what? He talks about Jesus, and there's something authentic going on there. There's something real. People really seem to love each other. They're getting along. People who are across the aisle politically, people who are of different backgrounds, people who are of different ethnicities, they genuinely like each other. They start to wonder when glory shows up. Wouldn't you love that we would go out to Lake Oconee and people would be wondering what's going on with us? And then, of course, there's Mary, who treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. What do you think she was treasuring and pondering? It had to be who this baby was. Wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Friends, there's the Christmas story. There's where to find Glory came down. Where do we find it? In the house of bread and in a feed trough. Who brings it? A child. What does the true Christmas story, not what the world says Christmas is all about, what does the true Christmas story evoke? Faith, wonder, and worship. May we seek and find glory in the right place, the right person, and with the right response of faith, wonder, and worship.